The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Here's, a, here's something you need to understand. If your faith is not working for you on a daily basis, in other words, you're not able to see how your faith translates into everyday life, how it's affecting me at work and in my family, my children, my home, the things that I own. If my faith isn't working in that aspect of my life, then it's all in my head. It's just all in your head. You've got some kind of an intellectual thing going on. Uh, Christ isn't Lord. He's not ruling and reigning in your life. You're not growing and thriving in your faith. It's all in your head. It's just religion. It's got to get to the point where it begins to translate into your actual life. Not just Sundays, but every day, every moment. And so That's why this series, because this is one where we want to help you see how your faith overlaps into your daily life, even to the very point of how you view yourself in the world. And so we want to get into that today. Um, Let me just kind of lay the foundation for this whole series. Everything that, that we're going to share with you over the next number of about six weeks comes from the Bible. Everything is on the foundation of the Bible. And the reason why we're using the Bible as our foundation is because we believe at the deepest part of our hearts, at our core, is that the Bible is God's word. It's his words. The Bible was written over about a 1,600-year period. So from when the first parts of the Bible are written till the very last one, 1,600 years go by, about 40 different authors all writing together under God's inspiration. So he doesn't uh, take over their mind and, you know, their eyes roll back in their head and they're writing, you know. He's, he's working through their personality and who they are and their experiences. But God is in control. So everything written there is written by him. It's his heart, it's what he thinks and how he feels and how he sees life and sees the world. And if you're a follower of Christ, you view that as truth, as absolute truth, if you follow Jesus. Now, I realize that it could be that not all of us here today are in that same place. You see, some people are kind of kicking the tires and checking things out and not quite sure yet if... Jesus is my Lord. And so the Bible may be some good words and, and you know, some, some great stories, but it isn't necessarily my truth. And so my job today is not to convince you that it is, but to merely lay it all out for you and let you decide. So you decide what you believe. I'll present it as clearly as I possibly can and as fun as I can and you get to make the decision. Is this truth or not? Everything, every lie that we present over the next six weeks, every lie is from God's point of view. So it's from the Bible's point of view, and I realize the culture disagrees with that. And so you'll hear a lot of disagreement in your daily life, and you have to take that and compare it with the Bible 
and make your own choice. All right? You get to decide. Have you ever heard the phrase, know the truth and the truth will set you free? Have you heard that before? Can I have that water, Hudson? Right next to you. Thank you. You've heard it before, right? Common phrase, know the truth, truth set you free. These are actually Jesus' words. This comes from Jesus. He said that, not Jim Carrey, it's Jesus. And it's found in John chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, you can take a look there. Otherwise, we'll show it to you on the screens. And this is what happened. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So he's identifying his disciples. People who are following me, listen to me, and do what I say. And that's what he's qualifying. Say, if you are a follower of mine, you listen to my teachings, and you obey them. Now, this is a fascinating dialogue here between Jesus and these religious leaders. Okay, these religious leaders, I wouldn't say, were followers of Christ. Okay, they were not his followers. And so they were there to question him, to doubt him. To, to cast doubt upon his teaching and his authority, attacking his authority. What right do you have to tell us what to do? How dare you come here and tell us what truth is? We have our own truth, and who are you to tell us we're wrong? So they're questioning his authority, and they were questioning whether or not what he was saying was truth. And so he responds to them. It's interesting that uh, this is, so, this is so, such ancient teaching here, and yet so relevant because the same questions are coming from our culture today. It's no longer the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's pop culture questioning the authority of Scripture. And so we have the same thing. But look at his response. It's, it's fascinating. He says, why can't you understand what I am saying? It's because you can't ever hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies... It is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and a father of lies. So when I tell the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I am telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God, but you don't listen because you don't belong to God. A couple of th key important things here from what he just said to them. First of all, the lies that are coming from the culture. So anything in society that is a lie, it is actually coming from the devil. He's the father of lies. He's the one who plants those specific Lies, they come from the devil. The devil doesn't want you to know that they're his lies, and so he gives them to other people. And then when they share those lies, you think it's just coming from people, and you don't identify it as coming from the devil. 
brilliant plan. A second thing that is important is the devil is incapable of the truth. Now, you and I, we can say the truth, and we can also lie. The devil cannot. Literally is incapable of truth. There is no truth in him, Jesus said. No truth in him. It can't come out of him. You can't give what you don't have. And so everything he says is a lie, and he hates truth. Now, if the devil hates truth, then he hates anyone who's following the truth. If you're going to live your life, if you're going to act out from on Monday and Tuesday at work and in your home like you believe the truth, then the devil is going to recognize that and he's going to hate you. And what do you do to people you hate? Anything you can to make their life miserable. Jesus is telling us the truth is found in Scripture. He says right here that my words are the truth. What you see in the Bible is the truth. And then lastly, anyone who belongs to God gladly accepts his words as truth. Those who reject the truth don't belong to Jesus. And I forgot to mention one thing to you, that if you're in a community group, then anytime you see the Q on the screen, that's something you want to be prepared for. Uh, you might see that on the quiz at group. So if you're not in a group, you have no idea what I'm talking about. So this is the foundation upon which we will base everything in this series about lies our children need to overcome. So I've identified 12, 12 lies from the culture, common things that our children face today. They're very different than the ones you and I faced if you're you know, you're as old as me or even older. We faced totally different things when we were children. The world has changed. <laughs> Society has changed. And it's not the same. And so I've tried to pick 12 that are current. These are lies that are currently happening in our culture, inundating our children. I found 12 of them that I like. But 12 is too many for a six-week series. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do uh, six on... Sundays, and then during the week, I'm going to do a video of one of the other lies. I'll do the more provocative ones on video, and then you can go to our website and watch those videos. Most of those will have to do with sex, okay? So that's why they're going to be on the video, and you can control who's watching it. But um, that's kind of my plan, these 12 lies. The first one is this. You ready? Your value is based upon how attractive your body is. Lie number one. Your value is based upon how attractive your body is. And this lie is being preached at our children night and day. Night and day, unrelenting. One researcher uh, calculated that a nine-year-old girl will hear this lie 700 times a day. A day. Why is the devil so keen on this specific lie? I mean, all the lies that he's got, he's got everything. You know, he owns that. But why is that one so important to him? Why is he using that one everywhere? And why is he putting that on the kids? Why go after kids with that one? 
And the reason why is because if you buy into this lie, if you accept this one, then you will accept a thousand more other lies. This is a gateway lie. This one opens up a huge door in your life. If he can just get you to hook onto this one, then he has got you on so many others. It's absolutely critical. You're ugly, unlikable, unlovable, unsuccessful. You're a loser. You will fail in life. No one likes you. You need plastic surgery. You're not as pretty as her. You're hot. You're a sex symbol. You're awesome. You're worthless. And on and on and on they go. If you bind this one little lie, then you will believe a thousand other lies behind it. Now this one I think is easier to identify in adults than it is in children, although that's changing. It's really changing. Now you'll see uh, more and more three- and four-year-olds acting out this particular lie. But you can identify it pretty easy in adults. Take, for example, uh, Joan Rivers. Joan Rivers passed away almost a year ago today, September 4th. She was 81 years old, and she had over 350 cosmetic procedures. Count them up. That's a lot of money. 350. And in fact, when she died, she was having her final cosmetic procedure. 81 years old, and all of her life, she believed at her core she wasn't pretty enough. She was not pretty enough. And no matter what she did to her body to fix that error, it still wouldn't go away. She couldn't escape it. Another great example is Michael Jackson. The people who were closest to Michael Jackson, who loved him, always talked about how lost he was. How all the fame and the wealth and the talent and all of that was never enough for him. He was still so deeply sad, and so he tried so hard to change the way he looked. Because he couldn't love the person in the mirror. The person in the mirror was ugly, was not quite good enough. And so he literally tortured himself until he died tragically at the young age of 51 years old. Now, these may seem like tragic examples to you and, and, or extreme examples. And you say, well, I'm not that bad. You know, I don't go that far. Sure, but if you don't overcome this lie, that's the tragic end of it. That's how it ends. You're seeing the end of their life. And so it's so critically important that we help our children overcome. See, it's our responsibility as parents to prepare our children to succeed in the world. You know, when they leave you, they're on their own now, and are they prepared? Are they ready to encounter these things head on and have the confidence to overcome? Or are you sending them to the wolves so they could be devoured? You are responsible for your children. We are facing in our country 
an epidemic of poor parenting. Lousy, horrible, inadequate parenting. It's disastrous. So, how do you overcome this? What do you do? Let's talk about that. How do you overcome? First of all, parents, you need to understand that your children follow your example. Your kid's a sponge, man. That little girl, that little boy, they're looking at everything you do and everything you say, and they're following you whether you want them to or not. They are learning from you. They're picking it up. And so, mom, if you believe this lie, dad, if you believe this lie, then guess what? Your kids are going to follow in suit and believe it right along with you. You can't give to your children what you don't have. If you don't have the truth deep down inside of you, there's nothing you can give to your kids. All you'll end up giving, even if it's by default, is a lie that your child will believe. Now, if you believe this lie, your kids will too. It's like fruit on a tree. If the tree is bad and corrupt, the fruit is as well. You don't have a good tree and bad fruit. You have a good tree and good fruit, and you have a bad tree and bad fruit. Those two things go together. So if parents reinforce this lie all the time in their own self, then the children pick it up. So step number one for parents is simply this. Ask yourself the question, do I believe the lie that my worth is found in my body? How attractive I am, do I believe that lie? Because most people live in denial. So let me help you with a few questions, all right? When you get up and you get dressed in the morning, do you dress to look good? Is that your thought, I want to look good today? Do you wish that you looked better? Do you hate something about your body? One feature about yourself you just hate, you'd like to change it. Do you believe that you're ugly or uglier than other women? There are women more pretty, more attractive to you. Are you constantly comparing yourself to other people? Do you believe, men, that if you looked better, were more thin and handsome, you'd be more successful? Do you think at times that maybe God has made a mistake with you, that something went wrong when he was creating you and you turned out wrong? Do you hate fat people? You look down on ugly people and make fun of them. Do you think they're just lazy and undisciplined? If they would just get their act together, they could be thin and beautiful like me. Do you criticize or critique other women who don't have that Barbie figure? You know, if you can answer yes to any of those, then there's probably a good chance that that lie is inside of you, that you believe it. Now, if you said yes to all of them, we all have a certain degree of this lie inside of us, I believe. I think, you know, there's a part of it there. Some have fully immersed into it, and some a little bit, and some struggle with it. But you won't be able to help your children 
if you can't help yourself. That's absolutely critical. And the first place you got to work is if it's in you, start with you. Get this lie out of your own heart so you'll be able to help your children. Second step is to model the truth for your kids. You got to live it out. You got to be careful with your words. Don't make judgmental statements about how people look. Just take that completely off your radar. How people look is of no concern. It means nothing. There's no need for a comment on that whatsoever. Just completely take that out of your vocabulary. Have no value on how other people look. It simply doesn't matter. Listen, I can tell you, I know confidently that this is true, that if you sat down with Jesus and you started having a conversation with him, you wouldn't ever hear him say after a thousand years in conversation that you're ugly. It would never come up in the conversation, you know, you really look better if you lost 30 pounds. You know, your breasts aren't big enough. You think that would ever come up in Jesus' conversation with you? You'd talk with him for a thousand years, and none of that would ever come up, ever. Now, why is that? Could it be that the perspective is wrong and that that's not important to God? What is truth? Let's take a look at it. You can't give the truth if you don't know it. So let's look at the truth here. This comes from Psalm 139, one of my favorite psalms. I memorized a lot of this psalm. You should too. It says, 13, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. So God knew you in your mother's womb, and he was at work there. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. The truth is that when God made you, it wasn't a mistake. It wasn't in error. God made you the exact way he intended for you to be. Even to the point of before you were born, God made you. Value comes from being in relationship with Jesus. Not looking a certain way. Your relationship, listen, your relationship is so precious and important to God that he thinks about speaking to you in so many words that it's more than the sands of the sea. Now, that's a lot of things that God is wanting to say to you. What is that? That's relationship. He wants to connect with you. His words to you are unlimited You'll never exhaust the conversation with God, ever. 
And when you question God, when you have doubts in your heart about how you were made or how you look, the truth is the only thing that will set you free. Sometimes doubts creep in. I know they do for me. Maybe God made a mistake. You know, other people are so beautiful. Why, why, why aren't I like them? Why can't I be like them? Why can't I be thin and, and, and beautiful like them? Maybe, here's, a, here's one, there's a doubt comes in. Maybe I'm a man trapped in a woman's body. Maybe God made a mistake with my gender. Maybe I'm a woman trapped in a man's body. That's why I like to do manly things. It all makes sense, right? God mixed it up somehow. And so when this lie creeps in, here's the truth. Listen to this. It comes from the Apostle Paul in Romans 9. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, Why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have a right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration, beautiful, and another to throw garbage in, practical? The truth is that we were created by God and we do not have permission to question his decisions. Why does God create people the way he does? I don't know, and he's not telling. If he wanted us to know, it'd be in the Bible. He left that out. He's not talking about that. He's not answering that. Quit praying that. That's not an answer for you to behold. He wants us to accept what he's done and call it good, just like he does. He's sovereign. You've got to trust that he's good. Listen to this. Charm is deceptive. All right? It lies to you. Let me say it another way. Good looks are deceptive. And beauty does not last. But a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. This is God's heart. This is his attitude. And he's saying, listen, when it comes to how you look physically and how your character is, I care all about the character. I care all about the character. That's what I'm about. I'm not into the looks. That stuff goes away. Gravity wins every time. You can try and cheat it, but it'll still be in your heart. The truth is that God places very little importance on looks and far more on character. And if God was into looks, then we'd all be what? We'd all look like Justin Timberlake and I don't know. Somebody, you know, right? We'd all be like that, right? But obviously God is not into that. 
You know, people criticize me all the time. It goes with the job. I'm getting used to it. But if I were to ask you, what's the number one criticism that I receive? I would be willing to bet that none of you would guess. None of you would know it. The number one criticism I receive is how I look. Now, is that odd? It's always odd to me. (laughs) Occasionally, people will criticize how I lead the church, but usually it's how I look. And so here's what I do. When I hear, when people say that to me, when they say, you know, such horrible, disgusting, cruel things to me, I think to myself, you know what? Jesus disagrees with you. And so you got your underwear in a twist this morning, and you're barfing it on me. But guess what? Your stupid little opinions don't mean anything compared to Jesus. And what he says about me is the truth, and he's far more important to me than you. So I don't give weight to your comments. If they agree with Jesus, I'm all for it. Bring it on. Let's talk about it. I want people around me who are going to affirm what Christ says over me. I don't want those other kind of people. Leave me alone. Get away from me. All right? The truth is, your value is found in Jesus. You know, this is how it is in business. In business, something is valuable because of what people will pay for it or because of who owned it, all right? So take, for example, this bottled water. This is uh, Costco purified water. It's quite good. This, uh, now that I've been drinking out of it, is worthless, right? Not a person on the planet would pay anything for this. But what if I told you that this bottle of water actually was George Washington's. And he drank out of it. Now it's worth 20000 isn't it? Right? Because a famous person owned it. The value goes up. Same is true in what somebody will pay for it. If I'm going to pay $200,000 for a house because that's what the market says it's worth, The market is based upon what other people will pay. So what other people will pay is only 200000 So that's all it's going to be worth, and that's all I'm going to be paying. If I pay a million dollars for that, I'm a fool. Because the market says it's not worth a million. What people are willing to pay for it determines its value. So now listen to me. What did Jesus pay for you? What did he pay? What was the price he had to give up for you? Do you know that Paul says that we've been bought with a price? That God paid a price for you. You've been purchased by God. How much did he pay? Well, more than money can count. We have to conclude priceless. Do you know when that's how they determine when some things are worth more than all the money in the world, they have to be considered priceless. There is no price. Only very few things in the world are like that. 
the pyramids in Egypt, okay, there is not enough money in the world to buy those. They're worth so much. The jewels that are held in England, the, the crown jewels that have been pilfered from every other country in the world over the last 2,000 years of dominance. <laughs> There's a lot of countries that would dispute whether or not that belongs to England. But anyway, they have it. And they're not giving it up. And it's considered priceless. Jesus gave everything to buy you. And you know what? That tells you what you're worth to him. You want to know what you're worth to Jesus? You're priceless. You know what makes you so valuable? That you belong to him. He's the most significant person in the universe, and he owns you. That makes you rare, unique, precious, valuable, that's the truth. 1 Corinthians 16.20 says that God bought you with a price. That's the truth. If you teach this to your children, what I'm saying to you is simple, simple truth. You teach this to your children, you will save them from a thousand trials. You will save them from marriage problems. You will save them from senseless disputes with people. You will help them succeed in life. It's your responsibility to do this. You're literally, you implant this in your children, you're taking suffering away from them. So look for those opportunities. They're everywhere if you look for them. You know, they come up all the time with your kids. Look for them, take those. I've missed so many as a parent. Oh, I let so many of those opportunities go right on by me, and I didn't take them, and I lost them. So grab those while you have them with your kids and your grandkids. Look for opportunities. Plant the truth. It's the only way to defeat a lie is to know the truth. Here's the balance. Let me add a little balance here, okay? For those of you who in your mind are thinking of all the ways why I'm wrong, it is good it is good to be in shape. My doctor tells me all the time, says, John, you would have less pain if you lost weight. And he's right. That's the truth. He's right. Being, looking good is not a sin. And that, I wish we all looked good. Wouldn't that be great? We all look good. Just fantastic, you know. Six-pack, eight-pack, whatever you want to call it. We all have it, you know. <clears throat> I wish that. But here's the deal. When those things turn into my worth is based on those things, that brings suffering. Now it becomes a lie. And now it kills Your value has nothing to do with the way you look. As husbands, it's good to tell our wives that they're beautiful. It's a way of saying, I love you. 
But her beauty comes from inside her heart and her love for Jesus. That's what makes her beautiful. That's what makes him such a great catch. He's passionate about Jesus. Nothing else matters. You hear me? Nothing else matters. The absolute dirt poor. No future. Okay? But passionate about Jesus? Don't worry about it. You'll do just fine. You'll do just fine.